You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning, friends. How's everybody doing? When Ron was talking about the disciples in the boat, I wanted to jump up and lead us all in a round of row, row, row your boat, because uh, I think we need to we need to keep pursuing that. And Sammy and Joanne, congratulations, you guys. I want to say that, Sammy, since I've been here, this is, I'm almost on my fourth year here. Sammy, you've been a real role model for me. I have watched you and seen how you look for people that need help, and you step in. And really appreciate your bro. And your jokes are just amazing. Amazing. They are. He's a role model for me as far as being a, a comedian as well. So, like Ron said, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and I'd like to read through this passage real quick. Uh, We're going to look today at the first 20 verses. So, if you want to read along with me in your Bibles or your devices or even up on the screen, you may do so. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing now you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, will not my feet only, but also my hands and my head? Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master or greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. 
May God bless his word to our hearts today and help us to see Jesus. Let me just open up a little bit here with a, a couple points of context because this is a beautiful diamond, but it has a setting that I think will help show off the beauty of this passage all the more. The first thing I'd say, I'd call it, if you will, the, the broader context or the panoramic view of, of where this passage, scripts, uh, passage of Scripture fits in. And that would be uh, the chapter of Isaiah 53. I'd like you to read that today. Don't worry about it right now. But if you get a chance today or tomorrow, go and look at the book of Isaiah chapter 53. That is the prophecy of the suffering servant. And it is amazing. As a matter of fact, it's so amazing in its prophetic context that many people don't even believe it could have been written 600 years before Christ because it so perfectly describes the ministry of Jesus Christ and what he did for it. And he portrays him, this servant of the Lord, as a suffering and humble servant who suffers and redeems the people of Israel. And so big context is Jesus is that servant. We see this exhibition of his servant and his humility here, and that is because he is fulfilling that role that Isaiah prophesied about. And then, of course, we want to get to the close-up uh, context of this passage, and that would be Luke 22, where uh, we read on the night of the Last Supper that the disciples were squabbling among themselves about who was the greatest. And I think it's fascinating that John covers this event, and he leaves this detail out. As a matter of fact, the other Gospels kind of don't put that in there about what happened on the last night, but uh, the focus is on the heart of Jesus. That's what John is emphasizing for us. But just know that that event where they're jostling, if you will, for who's, who's the greatest in our kingdom, that that was happening in the context of, of this particular evening. Now let's take a closer look at some of these verses and, and just pull out of them some applications and thoughts for us. First of all, we, have, we, we read in verses 1 and 2 that before the feast of the Passover, uh, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. An amazing, amazing thought there. You know, in the Jewish observance of Passover, we have a certain things happen on certain days and we all know that good friday was the day of the jewish passover right but do you know what happens on good thursday on good thursday was the day that every jewish family would go out and buy their passover lamb and that would be killed so that it could be properly prepared for the passover feast which would happen on friday what do we see happen here Jesus is the Passover lamb, and he is sold to the high priest on behalf of the nation for 30 pieces of silver. So the Passover lamb, once again, was purchased on this particular day. And so things are following, following a pattern here of what the significance of Good Friday is. 
Please forget also, my friends, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper picture. I don't know how many people here are familiar with that picture. Yeah, everybody here. One of the most famous pictures in the world. Forget about it. Beautiful, beautiful portrayal, but completely and totally inaccurate. What you should picture in your mind here for the Last Supper is low tables, uh, not very far off the ground, set up like a horseshoe, and people laid on big pillows on their side. In my opinion, the ideal way to eat, just kind of laying down. You know, the only thing that would have been better would have been a big screen TV or something in there, you know, to watch TV while you're eating dinner, right? Uh, but they, they all, laid, all laid around the table on these pillows on their left side. Their feet would have been sticking out behind them as they're facing the table. And Jesus would have been seated at one end of the horseshoe with John the Apostle on one side of him and Judas on the other side of him. And if Jesus was the host, which he was, then he would have been the, the highest person. And those two seats on his left and right would have been the seats of honor. So think about John the Apostle and Judas Iscariot are Jesus' honored guests at this particular dinner. Across from them, we don't know where the rest of the disciples would have been seated in what order they were even seated, but we know that Peter probably was at the very last seat, and so kind of the, the lowest, which is quite funny when you think about the fact that he was considered the chief of all the apostles, wasn't he? And yet here he is on that night taking in the very, the very lowest seat. And he would have probably been there because he would have been in a position to be asking John. Because he said, John, who's, who's the betrayer? What's Jesus talking about there? So he was probably in that, that lowest position. But then I think about the fact that the scripture makes very clear that Jesus knew the significance of that evening. He knew that the shadow of the cross was over him at that particular day, and that he was going to be not only the servant, but the suffering servant, and that he was going to be dying a terrible and hard death on behalf of the world. And yet it says that he loved his own even to the end. That to the end, not meaning to the end of his life. He loved them to the fullest extent, to the fullness that he had, That because he, he never stopped loving his, his disciples ever. Um, but he lived, loved them to the end. And I, I, I just think about the fact, even in my own life, your life, we all have a final night coming, don't we? We all have a final night. Time is not something that is infinite for us. It is something that is finite, and it does run out, and there is a last day. And I just think about my own life, and I, and I, I want us to ask a question of ourselves here as well, and that is, could that be said of us? Are we in a position where we can say, we loved our own to the fullest extent, that we didn't leave things necessarily undone, but also that we really truly did love. We did have in mind the people that God put in our lives and that we fully loved, even as the Lord loved in our lives. I hope that will be true of our testimony, um, no matter how our last night goes for us. Then we read all things in verse 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come back from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus did not become the victim of an unfortunate set of circumstances here. The Father had given all things into his hands, and yet we know that Judas acted upon his own will and his own desires, and we know that there was a plot against Jesus, but all these things, according to Peter in Acts chapter 2, are according to the foreordained and predestined plan of God. So there's this plan of God, this will of God going on, and within that, people are acting the part, they're acting in their own freedom, and it's a mysterious thing, but all things are actually in the control of Jesus because he volunteered to become incarnate. He volunteered to be humbled and taking on the form of man and to live amongst us and to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. All things were in his hands. And during the meal, likely this was probably right in the midst of the contention of the disciples, Jesus rose and set aside his outer garments. He stripped down to his skivvies. That's an appetizing thought, you know. And I think about if I were to get up and do that, people would probably not feel like eating afterwards. You know, if I got up, took my clothes off, and started washing people's feet. But you know, uh, I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus took that and did that in that moment for his disciples. But that was actually pre-picturing, wasn't it? The next time they would have seen him, he would have been stripped and on the cross, serving them there and washing their souls. So we see this picture here of him setting aside his dignity to do this, but not only his dignity, but, I mean, here he was, you know, he had already, he had already uh, been humbled in becoming a man, but now... He's even setting aside that dignity. And it really strikes me, friends, about the fact that this is God. Does it strike you that God is humble? That we have a humble God? Not humiliated. I mean, I think that sometimes we are humbling to him. You know, he's like, really? You know, I made him and he's doing this. Uh, But... God is a humble God. And I just would say, where does that leave room for any of us to have a lot of pride? Where does it, if God is humble, where is the place of our human pride? Then Jesus comes around to Peter. <laughs> and Peter says, Lord, you, you wash my feet? And Jesus says, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well then not my feet only, but also my my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. I can kind of picture Peter sitting at the end of the table. The gears are turning in his head as he's watching, you know, oh man, I don't want Jesus to come and do this. He's working his way around the table, and finally their eyes meet. 
And remember, the discussion had been about how honorable and the high rank everybody would have in the kingdom. And here their master is going around and taking the, the job of the lowest servant. And he says, never will you wash my feet from now to eternity, Lord. I, I, you don't need to do this. Do not degrade yourself, Jesus. And then Peter turns around, doesn't he? And he says, uh, he wants to dictate then the terms. Well, then wash everything, Lord. And the Lord says, if, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. The reality is, is that we are unable to cleanse ourselves from the stain of sin. We are unable to do that. That is what Jesus does. Only Jesus had no sins of his own. He did not have a sin nature. Only Jesus could live a life and have the ability to die for our sins because he had no sins of his own. He took those upon himself and took our punishment that we could come before a holy and just God unstained and clean. The one who has bathed only needs to wash their feet. You know, once we have been washed by Christ, we remain clean before God. We're in a state of repentance. We're in a state of alignment with the Father. But as we walk through this world, which is symbolized by the, the dust and the dirt we'd pick up on our feet, as we walk through that, we don't need to repent all over again of our whole lives. We just need to repent of those sins that we pick up along the way and we can't help but pick up along the way as we live in this particular part of our story. And yet the Lord tells us we only need then to wash our feet. What is he talking about? Well, think about the Lord's Prayer. What does he tell us to do? He says, pray this way, my disciples. And, he's, and one of those prayers is, Father, forgive me of my sins, even as I have forgiven others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so that's the idea of continually bringing those things before the Lord and, and remaining clean but washing our feet. But we don't need to have our entire soul washed. That is already always in a state of cleanliness before the Lord. Judas, though, had clean feet too, didn't he? And yet Judas's soul was definitely stained because he was not in repentance or alignment with God. Then we pick it up. He washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me turn this passage a little bit inside out, if you will, uh, just for the sake of clarity and, and kind of go a bit out of order here. First of all, one of the things we need to realize is Jesus is talking about an example or model of behavior. The Lord is not commanding us taking up foot washing as a new sacrament in the church, okay? He gave us communion. He gave us baptism. And so he's not telling us to take that up, but rather he's saying, I want you to model my behavior of servanthood. Second of all, the Lord says to us, we're blessed not in our knowing, 
but in our doing. You know, the Lord is not looking for more knowers of the word, okay? He's looking for doers of the word. Now, knowing is part of doing, but knowing and not doing is incomplete knowing, okay? So he says, blessed if you do these things. Knowledge is incomplete if you don't use it. He's also using a greater than principle here, right? He's saying, if I, who am your master, am willing to do this, how much more then should you be willing to do this for one another? Anybody who is subordinate to Jesus, who is the servant, should then also have upon their heart to be a humble servant and serve as well. And then it says it's something that we should do for each other. You know, we can't do the work that only Jesus Christ can do. I mean, I can't forgive your sins. I cannot, I mean, I can forgive you, but I cannot forgive your sins. I cannot cleanse your soul. I cannot do that. But I can serve you. And that's what the Lord has called us to do. He is saying, and remember the context, they're arguing about their position, their rank, and who's the greatest and all that. And, you know, and the way of the world is always about how, you know, how many people serve me. And yet the Lord, the highest person of all, the greatest of all, he says, I'm here to serve you. And that should be our attitude as well. I had a friend a number of years ago that um, worked for several months out in Washington, D.C. And uh, he was working, this was during President Clinton's administration, and he worked for the Department of Agriculture. And one of his jobs was organizing meetings in which dignitaries uh, from out of the country or the vice president or members of the cabinet would be at. And he said it was just amazing how much care had to be given to where everybody, the position they were seated around their table. That, and some people wouldn't show up if they were not in the front row uh, or they were not so many feet away from the vice president. It was amazing and that is just the perfect illustration of what the disciples were doing. It's the perfect illustration of the way of the world. And the way of the world is, you know, serve me. Let me be up on the, on the pinnacle of power. Let me be the one that people are coming to. And the Lord says that is not to be so of you. In the way of the kingdom, we should be willing to do the humblest tasks to help one another. Prestige and success are not found in who serves us, but how we serve as well. In verse 18, we pick it up. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You know, God did not choose Judas to be the betrayer. God knows the succession of our thoughts, and he knows where things are going to lead us. And that's what, that would be the le level of why Jesus knows. He knows the direction that Judas is going. And, you know, disaffection is a really, really interesting thing. When we frequently entertain disaffection in our hearts, it begins to jade our thoughts, and in turn, 
it becomes a situation where the devil can enter into our lives, enter into our hearts, and he can begin driving our behavior and begin driving our thinking. History is rewritten. This is one of the things I've seen many times over the course of my pastoral ministry is how people will just completely rewrite the history that they have with somebody. They forget all the good, and they only remember the bad. And it's a terrible, terrible cycle that gets there because truth gives way to falsehood. And then we find ourselves in the situation of betrayal. And you know, friends, I just want to bring this up because we are people of the truth. As Christians, we are to be people of the truth. And that doesn't mean that we cannot realistically assess the behavior of one another because sometimes we do rotten, mean little things to one another as well. And I'm not saying that we have this Pollyanna attitude towards one another. But I do want to caution you to not let your minds roll in the ditch of only thinking about the bad and not remembering the good. Because all of us are a mix. I'm not saying a 50-50 mix either. Hopefully there's more than that. But we're still a mix of those things. But it was, it's not in a truthful assessment of anybody's life to say they're all bad. There, there's no good to ever be found in somebody like that. Because that's what disaffection is all about. And I don't know what was stuck in Judas's craw about Jesus. The Bible kind of doesn't really ever tell us what exactly uh, was stuck in Judas's craw about Jesus. But definitely the principles of disaffection are in play here. And Jesus talks about, he, he quotes a psalm here. He says, he who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. That would have been a psalm all the people at that table would have known. That was one of the Psalms of David where he was talking about one of his beloved counselors who had betrayed him in a plot to overthrow David. And it would be the same thing as if I were to say Benedict Arnold, right? How many people in this room who know Benedict Arnold? You can see a few people that remember high school history. You know, Benedict Arnold, for an American, that's the quintessential word for, for traitor. It's, it's really kind of the same idea that Jesus would do that. Verse 20 is also not to be ignored because the men that were at that table were Jesus' sent ones, the ones he sent out, his choice messengers of his message. And if we receive their word, which we do, this is their word right here in the Gospels. If we receive their word, Jesus says, we receive Christ. If we receive Christ, we are receiving God. So, if we believe and we receive their exclusive message, it is the same as actually receiving it directly from Christ. You are my servants, you're not above me, but who receives my servants receives me. Who receives me receives the Father. Let me close with a few thoughts here. I'm going to come back to, first of all, the words to Peter, the words that Jesus said to Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And I think this really speaks to three types of people. And I hope, that, uh, I hope that I'm not really speaking to you today, but maybe I am speaking to you. There's three kinds of people I think that this is speaking to. First of all, we have what we call the dirt deniers, okay? And that's dirt spelled S-I-N. There's people that deny that there's even such a thing as dirt. This is sort of the the uh, environment, the, the ooze that's kind of surrounding us today. 
where people look and they go, there's no such thing as sin. That this is all just a taboo, you know. This is something, superstition that people are conjuring up to ruin my fun. And I don't have anything I do that wrong, and I don't really feel that guilty about anything I do as well. The funny thing about that is how self-referential that is. Because people are very easily able to see the wrong things that other people do, and even name them as wrong things. And yet when they consider their own behavior, it's like, I haven't done anything wrong. One of, one of my favorite forms of madness is I drive through Oregon City every day as I'm coming to the office here, and there's this row of businesses. And you've seen them there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dwelling on the meaning of this, but you'll see these signs that say, we welcome everybody, right? We welcome all religions, all genders, all this, all that, all colors, everything like that. And I, I see this one business that had that sign, and then next to it, it said, basically, if you are, have COVID-19, if you're homophobic, if you're fatphobic, if you're racist, don't come into my store. And I'm like, how do, this is, you know, it's like we welcome everybody, but we don't welcome you because you're an evildoer over here. And that's kind of the inconsistency of the world that we live in today. And I want to propose something better. And that is that we don't breathe the air around us like that, but we let God define reality. We let God define reality for us. God says there is such a thing as sin. He says that sin is deadly. And he says he has a plan for curing that problem through his son, Jesus Christ. Let the Lord define reality and don't be a dirt denier. Second of all, we have self-scrubbers, the do-it-yourself approach. And, uh, you know, I know I've got sin and I know I've got it, you know, I, I know, I know that I, this sin stands between me and Jesus, but I'm going to straighten my own life up and then I'll come to the Lord. I'll take care of this my, myself here. I'll get my act together. I'll receive the Lord. You know, God helps those who help themselves, right? Wrong. Of course not. God helps those who cannot help themselves. I must wash you, says Jesus. Come to Jesus and let him do the cleaning of your life. Let the Lord do what he came to do, and you get out of the way. And then thirdly, there's another group of people here, and that is the people that are water-resistant. You actually agree with Jesus, you see your need to repent and believe, and you've done so, but you've postponed or you've made excuses about not getting baptized. Your reasoning, I'll bet you're right now in your mind, well, now, wait a second, isn't Chris twisting the scriptures here and saying this applies to me getting baptized? I don't need to be baptized to get saved. Do you need to, do you need to be baptized to get saved? No, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. And I'm not twisting the scripture here, though, because of the fact that Jesus says that a servant is not greater than their master. And what did Jesus do as he began his ministry? He went and was baptized. Are we greater than our master? Absolutely not. And I can't tell you how many times, once again, that I've, I've talked with believers over the years that put off getting baptized and... And, you know, you say, well, why did you do that? You know, it's like, oh, it was just my pride. I didn't, I didn't want to be in front of everybody. I didn't want to do that. And then after they do it, it's like, it's such an amazing blessing. And people feel closer to the Lord. 
They feel like there's breakthroughs in their life. And so I just want to lay that out to you guys. We have a baptism coming up in a couple weeks. And if you have not done that, get your name on the list and get down here and get baptized. Because it is going to open the door of great blessing in your life. And the Lord tells us to do that. Last of all, I've talked about the words that Jesus gave all disciples. And that is, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In the church, greatness is not determined by position, but by your servanthood. This doesn't preclude visible leadership or positional authority in the church. These are actually prescribed for us in the scripture, but that's not the measure of success. Success is measured in humility and in serving. And you know, in contrast to that, there is how we are trained to live our lives. And, and I say this because I, I am, I'm, I'm getting older and older and, and we're empty nesting and all that stuff. The contrast is organize your life according to everything that is your preferences and your conveniences. Don't, don't go out of your way for anybody. Just do what makes you happy all the time. And I, I want to say, you know, we'll be honored for that. There'll be people that will actually admire you for that. They'll go, well, you know, they really know what they want in life and all that. You can just organize your whole life. And, and the older you get, the greater temptation is to, to never be inconvenienced. But don't put yourselves above Christ. Christ was a humble servant. He freely gave of himself to the utmost. And it's really our brokenness inside that causes us to fear that we could ever give too much of our lives to serve other people. Now, let me tell you how to do that. Okay, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm, I mean, I know Renee first would probably, you know, tell me to tell all of you, you got to serve in Sunday school. You don't need all serve in Sunday school. I mean, she thinks you do. I think you do. But that's another story. The point is, the point is ministry happens everywhere. Ministry happens in the marketplace. Ministry happens in our home. Ministry happens here at church. Ministry happens in the community, in our neighborhoods. Ministry happens everywhere. And I don't want to ever define that for anybody because I want you to actually be available. And that's what I would say is, you know, how do we, how do we put uh, some tread on this idea of being servants for the Lord? We ask ourselves in every situation we're in, not everybody else's situation, our situation in the day-to-day. We say, Lord, how can I be of help in this particular situation? How can I serve you in this moment today where I'm at? And keeping that sensitivity to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit to guide you, that in that way, you are opening yourself up to be that humble servant of the Lord in our day-to-day lives. So not where you do it's fine, it's how you do it. And that how you do it is actually just a simple prayer of humility, of openness, and availability to the Lord. And don't be surprised if he doesn't take you up on it. I'm willing to listen to you, Lord. I put myself at your disposal. The Lord of all humbles himself to wash our lives, to wash our feet. Go now and do likewise. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we look at you, 
we are humbled when we see who you are and that you are a humble and loving God who does not think it any sort of disgrace to serve his people, that it is no lack of dignity to bend down and do the lowest task for us. We pray, God, that you would help us to set aside the agenda that this world puts before us, the agenda of achieving more, of having more, of, of being the top dog, top of the pile, top of the heap. It's still a heap. And yet, Lord, uh, you say, I'm willing to step down, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to be available to do the work of the Father. And so help us to step down and to lean into being available to serve you. We thank you for your word today and just pray your blessing upon uh, the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great Sunday and great week ahead. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.